Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. We're going to talk about parallel parenting today, and we're going to also talk about no contact, which is a boundary that some women would like to set with someone in separation or sometimes in divorce. This is a really safe boundary for someone who is dealing with a narcissist or someone who is dealing with an abuser. And I myself hold a no contact boundary. I've had lots of women ask me questions about this. How do you do it with kids? How do you do it in these situations? We're going to do a series about parallel parenting and no contact. And this is the first one in our series. So I want to welcome Coach Sarah. Thank you, Anne. It's great to be here. And we have a client, Kate. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Anne. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Kate is a little nervous. Very nervous. And we're huddled around the microphone in my basement. So it's going to be very fun. I want to let Kate start here by talking about her current situation with her ex-husband, what's going on, the triggers she has, and then we'll have Sarah have some input. Sarah has a boundaries group that runs. If you're interested, you can go to our services page and check that out. So no contact is a very protective boundary needed for situations like abuse or narcissism that I experience and that Kate also experiences. So I'm just going to have her start and we'll go from there. So I recently divorced. It was final just last October. Um, I was married for 35 years, three children. I have a 17-year-old daughter living at home with me still and two adult married children. And I get triggered when I get an email or a text from my ex-husband. It feels like any healing that has happened in my life kind of unravels the minute I see a text or read an email. I really feel strongly that I need to have a no contact boundary. He has not respected the boundaries that I have requested and implemented in my life but I I still need to be safe and continue the healing process from my marriage and the betrayal and the narcissism and the porn addiction that I lived with every day of my life for 35 years. So you told me a story about an email he recently sent to you about how he wanted to quote unquote co-parent. Can you talk about that for a minute? So one Sunday morning, and there was an email from him, and it said something to the effect of, would you consider looking at this religious video? Because I want to set a united front with our daughter in her use of social media. Well, there wasn't any link that he provided, and so I didn't understand what he was talking about, but I knew exactly the minute I read the email, what was going on. And this is what I call his pretend parenting that he's done throughout our marriage. He um, comes up with a great idea that we can implement in our family and with our children to help them with whatever challenges we're having as parents. And I get on board and start to get excited about doing something as partners together to help our family. And when we start to present it to our children, he opts out. He goes quiet. He doesn't talk. 
he kind of starts doing something else, getting distracted, and our kids are looking at me and looking at him. And then he just starts to shrug his shoulders when they look at him like, I don't know what she's talking about. She's crazy. And the new idea, whatever it is, is dead before it's even hit the ground running. And our children have always been conflicted when this happens. And so have I. So I look like this person who's on a quest all by herself to force our children to give up their phones before bedtime or a new curfew. I knew this was another attempt at his pretend parenting, and he does it to make himself feel good about being a parent. But then he doesn't want to do the hard work of implementing strategies that help our children grow and learn and have boundaries in their own life. Even though I responded to it and said there's no link, that's all I wrote. He never sent another email with a link, and it hasn't been discussed ever since. As soon as I read the email and realized the dynamics that were going on, I could tell, okay, this is another trigger for me because it sends me back to times when I would get excited about co-parenting with him, and then he would leave me hanging. I'm going to speak for Kate for a minute, if you don't mind, since I know her quite well. And throughout my friendship with her, she's told me several instances of emotional mm-hmm. abuse Yes, due to her ex. Setting a no contact boundary seems like it would be a good plan at this point. I want to tell you one example from my parenting situation. When my ex says, quote unquote, co-parenting, I believe that what he means is during his parenting time, he would like to be able to drop the kids off at my house at will, or he would like to be able to tell me what to do rather than being able to have a meaningful conversation where we come to an agreement. It ends up always being a power struggle because he acts like a narcissist. So there's no way to get around that. And Kate's dealing with that same thing. So I want to introduce the concept of parallel parenting which a lot of people haven't heard of. When I first started going through my divorce, co-parenting was always coming up and no one ever said anything about parallel parenting. Sarah, can you just briefly tell our listeners what parallel parenting is? Parallel parenting is an arrangement in which typically divorced parents are able to parent by means of disengaging. And that's the important part there. The ability to disengage from each other in situations where they have demonstrated that they're unable to communicate with each other in a respectful manner with that controlling behavior that you're talking about with what I would actually call the good guy gaslighting that I heard uh, Kate just talk about. It allows for basically an arrangement to be made where one parent might make and assume some decision-making responsibility in different domains. That way there's very little actual interaction between the parents. If I could just summarize Mm -hmm. that in layman's terms, it would be you do what you want with Mm -hmm. the kids when they're with you. And I'm going to do what I think is best for the kids when they're with me. We don't need to talk about this unless someone's going to die. If there's some kind of crazy emergency, then we can go through a third party or we can go through a mediator or some type of third party so that we can agree. Is that usually what that means is that major decisions. And even sometimes this can be kind of separated out. Like one parent might make school decisions. Another one might make medical Then the day to day kind of things, unless there's some big thing going on, you just do you when you've got the kids 
and I'll do me when I've got the kids if you have shared custody. One of my former clients had to go to court to get her ex to sign off on allowing their kid to have play therapy. The judge actually ordered that they use this specific email system that kind of monitors the emailing. There are a number of different programs or organizations or businesses, I don't know what the right word is, that you can go to that that's their job, right, is to be that third party in situations like this. Kate, what are your thoughts about it? As I've read about parallel parenting, it makes a lot of sense and it sounds great. And yet when I read about it, I think, well, my situation's different because this or my situation that won't work for me because I don't have a third party. And and really, my ex-husband doesn't parent my daughter. I have sole custody. She's with him occasionally, but she kind of gets to decide when she's with him. It's not a regular basis. So he really doesn't have a lot of say and decisions about her. I, d- I don't know what we need to combine on. It just seems like he interjects himself into my life randomly, really for no reason that I can see. Like, for instance, I've asked him to send the child support alimony check in the mail. And just the other night, he texted me and said, I'm dropping off the check. I'll leave it under the doormat on your front porch. And I've asked him not to do that before because it's not secure. It's not a safe option. And yet he doesn't respect that request. He just doesn't want to buy a stamp, basically. And he wants to interject himself into my life any way he can. Mm -hmm. I, I love a number of things that have been said. How Kate was saying, I think he just wants to interject himself into my life. And I agree. I hear someone who's trying to hook you, trying to bait you. My ex is actually very much like this as well. So I'm very familiar with dealing with these kinds of emails and things like that. Um, As far as the boundaries are concerned, I think part of what we have to do first is understand the gaslighting behavior that's going on as well. So yes, there's boundaries, but oftentimes if we can't see past the gaslighting, we're just going to get confused about what's actually going on and why is this happening. And then we get distracted. The thing that we need to understand about the gaslighting is ultimately the result is more important than how they gaslight us. And what happens when we're being gaslit, we get confused. We're not sure, like, do I need to respond to this email? Do I not need to respond to this email? And we just get in that powerless place again. Those were the exact thoughts going through my mind. Like, what do I do? Do I just ignore this? And even though I didn't see him come to my door to drop this check off, I felt myself triggered. I went down in my basement to just get away from possibly seeing him or even hearing him at the door. So, So. I mean, there's a number of things that can be done. I have a number of people, um, and this is something I highly recommend to women that are in a situation where they have an abusive person in their life that they're trying to minimize contact with or no contact. And that's, do you have safe people who you can say, you know what, I just got another email from my ex. Will you please read it and let me know if there's anything I actually have to respond to? Um, Is there anything important, right? Is there any money or talk about, you know, the health of the kids or anything that I actually have to respond to? Because otherwise I don't need that. I don't need that triggery feeling. I don't need the re-traumatization of it. So if you have safe people, 
I think that's one of the most brilliant things that we mm-hmm. can do is just, it doesn't hit them the same as it does us. And that's a, a fantastic boundary to put up. Right. So with that, I think even just seeing the email in the inbox is triggering. So if we can block them on our email and block them in our phone and have them send the email to that safe person and say, just send it directly to that person so that we don't even have to see when it pops up in our email. I think that is the best case scenario because then that person's Mm -hmm. not triggered by seeing an email. Mm -hmm. Because my dad wrote my ex and said, I will not stand for this abuse anymore. I have instructed Anne to block you on her phone and on her email. And from now on, you will only write to me I never even have to worry about seeing an email in my inbox. I know I'm never going to get a text because I've blocked him. I want to tell a funny story really fast. So one day I received a text that said, watch out, I'm going to get you. And it was from an anonymous phone number. So I immediately called the police and they started tracking it because I thought this is my ex or something to do with my ex, right? Well, the police called and said, it's coming from your neighborhood. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like that um, when a stranger uh-huh. calls, like the call is coming from inside the house. Uh-huh. It was kind of like that. And I was like, my neighborhood. He's like, yeah, it's one of your neighbors. And I was like, oh, my word. He's like, do you think maybe he's having an affair with one of your neighbors or, you know, it was stuff like that. And I was like, I don't know. And I said, which neighbor? And the police officer wouldn't tell me. So then he said, let me just go talk to your neighbor and see what's going on. So he went and talked to my neighbor and he called me and said, you know, it's blank. I won't say her name, but she's one of my really good friends. And I had come around the corner in my car and she had almost run into me with her car. And so she was totally just joking around and I forgot to put her phone number in my phone. And she just was like, watch out, I'm going to get you as a joke. But in that moment, I had to call the police. I had to do all of these things. It was such a triggery time for me. So I don't answer phone calls from anonymous numbers because I don't know if that anonymous number might be from him or not. I really try to put people that I trust, like my neighbor who I love, she's awesome, in my phone so that I don't have days like that where I'm like, oh my word, I have to call the police. Sending it somewhere else is really important, which might be one of these apps, for example, like Family Wizard or something like that. Maybe you could set up the app, make him think you're reading it, but then ask someone else to open that app up for you and then block him on email on your phone. I'm not sure. We have to back up a step, in my opinion, because I want to go back to the gaslighting. We go back to that example that you used about the email where he wanted to co-parent or he wanted you to look at this video because, you know, we want to make sure our kids are doing well with the screen time and da, 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 da. When a person is psychologically abusive, which is what gaslighting is, it's emotional and psychological abuse. One of the most damaging ways that they can gaslight us is when they use our values against us, right? So it's this trying to hook us by hitting on our value of being a good mom, or our faith, or different things that they know are values to us that can cause us to engage with them with likely no intention of actually following through. They just want to be in control and manipulate the situation so that they can get us to engage with them again. So what we have to do in that moment is, first of all, recognize that that's what's going on, 
that our values are being used against us and remind ourselves of what the actual truth is. The actual truth is I'm a good parent, right? Like I don't need to watch this video. You know, (laughs) me and my 17 year old daughter, we're doing great. We ground ourselves by reminding ourselves back of what the truth is. Then even going further to what you were talking about, about just blocking, right? Just straight blocking so that you don't even have to deal with that. There's multiple layers here, right? Because not everybody can go to straight blocking. Some people can, those like like Kate, like myself that have full custody, we can do that. We don't have to interact as much or we can go completely no contact, but not everybody can. So when we're looking at things like completely blocking the email, sometimes what a hurdle is for us is that goes against our own nature our own values. Like that seems so mean, like that's so harsh. Like just completely cut somebody out of my life, especially when, you know, they'll probably send emails like, why are you being so mean? And you're being unfair, cutting me out of my kids' lives. I don't know if you guys have heard any of that stuff like that, but my ex will say stuff like that. You know, saying the things that sound good, but are really kind of empty. When our values are challenged, there's a conflict, right? Like the conflict is between our safety or a traditional definition of what co-parenting is. We have to really decide what's our biggest value here. And my biggest value is I need to not go into an emotional tailspin and be re-traumatized every time I see his name pop up in my email account or as a text. And so because that has become the priority of my biggest value, then that empowers us to make those kind of super protective boundaries that might seem a little dramatic, but they're not. They're completely necessary. Does that make sense? It does. And it always feels like when one of these things come up, I have to choose between my own safety and what's best for my daughter. It feels like my ex-husband almost has me convinced that me interacting with him is what's best for my daughter, but I know intellectually it's not because of past experience, but it feels like I have to put my safety on the back seat and, and let him do the driving because we have to co-parent our daughter. Like today, I had to be at a grandson's birthday party and he was there. And so I don't know how to get around that situation because I don't want to force my adult children to have to have separate parties or I lived through that as a young mom with my parents who were divorced and they expected me to have separate parties for each set of grandparents and that just didn't work. So it just feels like I have to put my safety needs and my emotional security second how creative can we get with your boundaries? Um, Because sometimes, especially when we're in a place of trauma, I don't know about you all, but my creativity goes kind of (laughs) like down the toilet. Like I am not creative. How creative can we get? And then what we do is we start brainstorming. How many different options? How many different doors can we look behind to see what are the options for boundaries so that you don't have to completely give away your safety? Maybe you can't have it be quite as safe, which means he wouldn't be there. But what are your other options? Anything ranging from, you know what, today I can't make his party, but I'm going to take him out on a special grandma day or we celebrate his birthday. You don't have to see your ex. Or it might be, I'm going to go in with the mindset that I'm going to see my ex and I'm going to have a quote unquote escape plan. That's my boundary is that I'm going to have outs 
right? Where if I need to leave the house, I'll go run an errand. Oh, like, you know, I see you need some candles. Like I'll go to the store and get some, you know, just make up creative things for reasons to, to get out of the situation if it becomes Mm -hmm. toxic or if it becomes traumatizing to you that you have already prepared an exit plan. Because then again, you, you feel at least a little bit more in control, right? When you're there and you don't have an exit plan, you feel trapped, you feel powerless. So boundaries are meant to make us feel safe and empowered. So that's what we're looking for in situations like that is how creative can I get around my safety and around the boundaries that I can implement. So the reason I wanted to do this in a Mm -hmm. series and I wanted to do it with Kate is sort of a test case because I assume that many of our listeners have the same issue where they would like as little contact as possible with their abuser or Mm -hmm. with the person who's betrayed them because they're still not safe and they don't feel safe and they don't know how to do it. If you're not comfortable setting a protective boundary of absolutely zero email contact or texting contact, or you don't have the ability, like maybe you don't have the safe people like Ann and I do. One of the thoughts as well is that you can just not respond, right? Just because he, he sends you an email or a text doesn't mean you have to respond. I have found that to be a, a particularly potent response as a non-response because part of what they're trying to do is get us to engage. So if we don't engage, oftentimes they can start backing up a little bit if we don't give them that reaction. I have done that with texts that I know I don't need to respond to. Like he would text me, have you seen my camera charger? Or can you find this in our files? Do you need to even get those texts? I don't. I don't. Because it's just another way for him to assume that I need to take care of things he's lost or be his mommy. And the problem with my ex is he's a narcissist, but he's a covert narcissist. And he portrays himself as this really easygoing person who's really friendly and carefree, but his response, if I were to block him or if I don't answer a text or an email, is he portrays me to other people that he's the victim, that I'm the abuser, and that I'm not co-parenting with him. And That's exactly how my ex is, too. Before I implemented the no contact, I was getting crazy texts like, why don't I have diapers? I'm like, you can go to the store and get diapers. Or why don't I have this or that? I mean, just anything he could do to hook me in, but he seems like this such nice guy on the outside. Those that are in the arena are the ones whose opinions matter. Those who are getting dirty and bloody with you fighting in the trenches, like the spectators, those that he's able to sway. Those are the people that are the spectators Mm -hmm. and their opinions, although they might not be fun. They're not the ones that we have to let influence us. We can choose to be like, you know what? You're just a spectator. You are not my people who are in the arena getting dirty and bloody with me. Those are the people whose words matter and whose opinions matter. And I know those people will allow me to speak my truth into this situation. I just finished a Rising Strong class with my therapist, who's a Brené Brown trainer. And I was so disappointed because Mm. I wasn't... At the end of the class, I didn't feel like I was... Had risen. <laughs> well, strong I, enough. I know it is a process. But it's Absolutely, still it's a, a long process. process. And I know um, that we're going to do this as a series. 
what Ann and I were hoping that we could have you do is have a goal of something that you would like to try with this parallel parenting kind of idea of disengaging, right? How can you disengage maybe just a little bit more than you have been? Might be a little bit of a stretch, might be a little bit out of your comfort zone initially, right? Because potential pushback, but in the long run will increase your safety, will decrease your triggers um, and help you build some of that resiliency. You know, talk about rising strong. How are you going to be able to build that resiliency and rise fast if you're constantly being dinged and basically harassed? So how can you implement something that's going to maybe extend your boundaries just a little bit more, push out the safety just a little bit more than you have been right now and see how that goes. We can check in with you the next podcast and see how that went what the successes were, how it might have helped you, any potential pushback or fallout from that boundary. And then we can hopefully learn a little bit from your experience and some other ladies might get some insight. Does that sound good to you? Great. I would definitely like to take the step of blocking his phone number and his email and maybe using this app to have some kind of third party situation. I don't have a trusted person that would be willing to do it. Anne's dad does. At least right now you don't. At least right now. I want women to know that it is possible. I think the number one thing that stops women from doing this and getting to safety is they don't think it's possible. Like what you said before, they don't get creative about how to do it because they just think it's not possible, so I'm not going to try. If women think it is possible, this is possible, and with faith I can accomplish this. Now, how do I do it is the key. It feels counterintuitive. It goes against most of our natures where we're loving and we're caring and we're nurturing. And that feels really cold to just say, I'm going to cut you out of my life because you are dangerous. You are harmful. And we feel like we need to have somebody give us permission to do that. So it's not just that we feel like it's not possible. We don't feel like we have permission. And so I think it's important that we give ourselves permission to go ahead and do that because it's necessary. It's not as being mean. It's not as being cold. Those are the old lies of the gaslighting. Those are not the truth. The truth is that you deserve to be safe. And so you can give yourself permission to take this kind of protective step. I think that's really important. That's a good point. I I think women in general but especially in my religious culture, are trained and expected to be nice and to mm-hmm. get along and do anything, even at all costs, for the family and for children especially. And so that's really mm-hmm. going against that expectation, that cultural training, that religious training for me to yep. cut someone out of my life, especially someone connected to my children and grandchildren. I would like us all to get along and work cooperatively, but this is a person that cannot work as a team in any situation. So it's just not safe. I would really like to not have those texts and emails coming to me um, by next time. I just think the idea of an app or a third party is a great idea. Some buffer zone between me and my ex to keep those triggers from happening and yes and then blocking him on my phone 
um, would be would be hard, but it would be good, especially because we have some financial issues that we still need to work out from the divorce decree. And so that's going to be extra challenging. I'm not sure, but as you research that app, Family Wizard or any other apps, I think some of them have the financial stuff too that you can go through. And if you're listening and you have the answers to this, will you please go to btr.org backslash podcast and comment? Because this is new territory for so many people. So if you've been using an app like Family Wizard or a third-party app and you're an expert at third-party technology to keep us safe, please comment on our site and let other women learn from your experience. A really good start on some action steps to help make these goals become a reality for you and uh, create a little bit more safety for you, a little less trauma, and hopefully some building of some resiliency for you. I'm, I'm excited to see how these things go for you. Thanks, Coach Sarah. I appreciate your help. So we will check back in with Kate and Coach Sarah in a little while and see how Kate did with her goals. Again, I want to restate her goals to block her ex on her phone and block her ex on her email and research an appropriate app to have contact with him about her financial things and about her daughter that still lives at home. So those are the three goals that she has made for herself today. And I'm really excited to see what happens. And no judgment here if nothing happens, because we're all just progressing any way that we can. And no matter what happens, we love you, Kate. We're doing our groups a little bit differently now at BTR. Our main goal at BTR is to meet women's needs where they are. And so we have several different groups available on the services page. You can sign up at any time for any of these groups. And as soon as they fill, they will run. So after you see what groups we have available and you register for the groups that apply to you, go ahead and post the link for the group description page in your secret Facebook groups or in our secret Facebook group. Let members of those secret Facebook groups know, hey, I joined this group from Betrayal Trauma Recovery, joined too, and as soon as it fills, it will run. Sarah runs four groups. She facilitates setting and holding healthy boundaries, detecting and confronting gaslighting, healing my self-worth and self-image, and therapeutic disclosures and therapeutic polygraphs. So Sarah, will you take a minute to describe your detecting and confronting gaslighting group and your setting and holding healthy boundaries group? It's so important because gaslighting damages our intuition, our voice, our connection to reality, which without that, how do we keep boundaries? If we're disconnected from our reality, how do we know what our values are? How do we make decisions clearly about whether or not we can stay in a relationship? All of these things really have a huge connection back to gaslighting. So it's one of my most favorite things to teach on a really high passion of mine. The boundaries one, the Vicki Tidwell Palmer book that we use in that group, she talks about healthy boundaries being one of the best forms of self-care that we can do. And I agree. Again, because so many times we're convinced that if I give myself permission to have the boundaries that I need to have in order to feel safe, then we feel mean or we feel like we're being vindictive. But when the truth is, all we're doing is keeping ourselves safe. And this is a great group that helps us understand what is the actual process of forming good boundaries and making that request to our spouse in a way that is both healthy, but solid. Like there's not any kind of wishy-washiness to it. There's a firmness that allows us to feel strong 
and to have our voice heard and to feel really clear as we're delivering our boundaries. So it's a great course. You can check out all of the groups we offer at btr.org backslash services. Again, if this podcast was interesting to you, we'd love to hear your comments. Also, please rate it on iTunes. Every single time you comment, every single time you rate us on iTunes, it increases our search engine rankings and it helps women find us. And when women are searching out there for why is my marriage going bad or what can I do? I don't want them to find the 10 ways you can be more sexy or how to improve communication. I want them to find the truth because those types of articles just keep them in that abuse cycle. And that porn user will just continue to abuse them and blame them and the hurt will continue. Our job here at BTR is to stop that hurt by educating women about what the truth is about their situation, that they are worthy of love, that they are beautiful, and that they deserve to be treated well. So until next week, stay safe out there.